So the other day, I was, um, I was walking into Fred Meyer in Wilsonville. It's parked back, you know, down the road a little bit. So I'm walking up. As I got out of my car, I hear screaming, just screaming. And my initial response, you hear screaming, is, you know, oh, no, what, what's happening right now? And then I, I, I looked down the row up by the store, kind of in the front there. There's a young couple, and they have a toddler, probably two-year-old, in the cart, you know, the little seat that the kids sit in in the cart there, kids in there. And, and this young man was having a bad day. He was just cutting loose, man. I mean, he was not happy. Mom and dad were very calmly trying to, you know, just trying to comfort him and calm him down. But he was having none of it. Just lighten it up, man. Lighten it up. And I, of course, being the kind-hearted soul that I am, just kind of laughed. And, and I laughed for a couple of reasons. One, because it was not my kid. Um, but the other is because I just, I do remember that. I remember those days. And I kind of thought to myself, that's sort of what two-year-olds do. You, you, that's, that kind of comes with the territory. Every once in a while, when you have a two-year-old, they, they're just going to be unhappy, and there's not a whole lot you can do. It would be a different situation if that was an older child. If they were seven or eight, you wouldn't expect them to throw a tantrum. Ten or twelve or a teenager, that, you, you wouldn't expect to see that, but you kind of do expect it from a two-year-old. It would be even worse, let's just say, if there were an adult just throwing a tantrum like that. Which reminded me of another story. I was in the airport uh, not too long ago, and the flight that I was supposed to be on had been canceled due to weather in the city that we were landing in. Okay, so we couldn't go because that airport had been shut down. So you, you've been there. You've always, you've been in that situation where it's just chaos. You know, everybody's trying to shuffle and figure out where to go and what to do, and they're getting different flights. And so I'm back at the ticket counter. I'm waiting in line at the ticket counter to get my try to reschedule my flight and get another flight to be where I'm supposed to be. And obviously it's stressful. It's a, it's a tense situation. You know, it's, it's not perfect, right? But the guy in front of me in line, he gets to the counter and he just goes off on the little gal behind the counter. And he's yelling at her and he's saying bad words and kind of just being incredibly rude. And I, I, I didn't say anything because I thought, you know, this guy's not happy, and if I say anything, it'll just make him more unhappy. But in my, my head voice, I was thinking, you, you realize, of course, that this young lady has absolutely no control over the weather, right? That, that she did not create this problem. And I tell you those stories because it, it reminds me of something that uh, John Wimber used to say, I want to grow up before I grow old. As we grow in Christ... We change, and our behavior changes, and the way we approach our relationships with other people changes, and some of the old things of our life fall away, and new things, which we call the fruit of the Spirit, emerge, and they replace those old things. And our life begins to be marked more by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those things mark our life. rather than whatever might have marked it prior. So, so we've been doing a series, if you haven't been here lately, in the book of 1 John. The title of our series is Being a Real Spiritual Person. And uh, I, I titled it that 
thinking about not being a really spiritual, like a super spiritual person, but being real as in authentic, being genuine and spiritual. And sometimes, if I can be honest, it doesn't seem like those two things go together in our society today. Sometimes it feels like in order to be spiritual, you have to be fake. You kind of have to make up this thing of, Praise Jesus, everything is okay all the time. And and the reality is that life just doesn't flow that way. And so I think that uh, John's part of John's focus in this letter, and certainly my focus in, in teaching through this book, is to help us evaluate what it looks like to be genuine and honest in our in the in the course of our life, but to maintain integrity in our relationship with Christ and be real and spiritual at the same time. That's that's really where where we're growing. So, where we're going. Or growing. Our title today is Growing Up Before We Grow Old. And uh, we don't want to end up like that guy. You can't see him very good, but that's a guy in a baby suit there. Little onesies look cute on kids, but not so much on grown-ups. So, uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into our, our text and uh, look at this a little closer. Father, thanks so much for your word. Open your, your word that we might receive, that it would... Uh, water the seeds of your spirit in our hearts today, that those things would grow up and bear good fruit in our lives. Amen. All right, we're in chapter 3 today, and I'm going to pick up, I think, in about verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. Because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. I don't know if you noticed this. It's hard to read 1 John because it's so repetitive. He just keeps saying the same things over and over and over. Um, You recall that John is writing this letter to refute uh, the teaching of some folks who have kind of risen up, and they're they're talking about relationship with God, and they're they're saying things that aren't true about relationship with God. Uh, And so what they're doing is causing other people then to to stray off of the the truth and into these other things. And so basically the the sort of summation of what these guys are saying uh, is in three areas, first related to our beliefs, and they denied the incarnation. They said Jesus really wasn't God. Uh, that was the first part of their teaching. Second part related to our morals. They kind of said it's okay to keep on sinning. Their, their philosophy was your spirit is redeemed, and so as long as your spirit is in touch with God's spirit, what your body does doesn't matter. So you can do whatever you want, doesn't matter. And then the third part was in relation uh, was in regard to relationships, and basically, if you summed up that part of it, said it's all about me. That my relationship with God is my relationship with God, and if I'm good with Him, it really doesn't matter how I am with you. And so John is writing 
to respond to this. And he gives some sort of proofs or tests, kind of litmus tests, to help us determine if our faith is real. If our faith is real. And the, the, the responses John gives, these tests, correspond directly to those three areas. He talks about our beliefs, our behavior, and our relationships. And there are parallels uh, in, in what John said, as I mentioned, especially today's passage is written in what's called parallelism. It's a literary device, just repetition for the sake of emphasis. And so he's making a point. So verses 4 and verses 8 say essentially the, the same thing. Everyone who breaks the sin, or everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. And then in verse 8, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. John is pointing out the seriousness of sin in terms of our relationship with God. And he, he really gives us what is just a, an unavoidable universal truth, the fact that, hey, look, we all sin. Everybody sins. Again, these other guys are saying, you know, we're above that. We, we, don't, we don't deal with that. We're, we, we don't sin. Their lives, though, are marked by what John calls lawlessness. He says that's lawlessness, uh, meaning simply that, I'm, I'm above the law. I don't have to obey the laws. I can drive as fast as I want, and I won't get a ticket because I don't, that doesn't apply to me. I, I get a pass. I can do whatever I want. I can, if I want to walk in the store and take something, I'll take it. That's mine. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I do whatever I want because I'm above the law. Now, that seems absurd to us. We, we though, might take, I think, a little more of a subtle approach today. I, I think sometimes, if I can, again, just be honest, we, we give ourselves a pass on sin as well. There's a couple things that come to my mind in terms of this. One is that uh, we give ourselves a pass on sin sometimes because everyone's doing it. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. It seems kind of old-fashioned, kind of archaic, right? If, if this is in culture, it's just acceptable. You can... You know, you can sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. It's just, it's, that's just silly otherwise. It's, it's old-fashioned. It's archaic. It's, everybody's doing it, so I think it's okay. We give ourselves a pass. The other thing that I, I see sometimes, we give ourselves a pass on sin because we say, well, it's just my personality. That's who I am. I, I kind of get angry. I get mad sometimes, and I blow up at people, and that's just who I am. I can't... It's just the way I, it's just, I don't know, it's just what I am. I'm just that way. And so we give ourselves a pass. What John says is there's no pass. What John says is a sin is a sin, and to be honest, we've all sinned. We've all sinned. The only redemption from that, the only way out from underneath that, is to allow the grace of God as it's given to us by Jesus in our lives. Verse 5, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And then verse, second part of verse 8, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. John references the law for two reasons. The first reason is this, that his audience was familiar with it. Now, for us, it's a little different. We read about the law. We kind of understand it in relationship to the Bible but it's, it's not real in our lives. But to his original audience, it was. You understand that, you know, they, they were Jewish. That was, that was their history. 
and they, they knew what the law meant. So that's one reason it was familiar. But the second reason he references the law is they also were very aware that it didn't work. It couldn't help them. They, they understood that for hundreds of years, people had tried to obey the law, tried to obey the law, tried to obey the law, and failed and failed and failed. And they, it never made a change in their life. They couldn't do it. I think we can relate to that. If anybody has ever tried really, really hard not to sin, just tried, I, I, I got I I to stop doing that. I can't do that anymore. I've got to stop. I just, you try really, really hard, and no matter how hard you try, it seems you just can't stop. One of... Um, the great reformer Martin Luther's contributions to the church was to help us understand the difference between the gospel of grace and the law. Martin Luther put it this way, the law tells us what we ought to do. The gospel tells us what God has done. The law shows us that we need to be forgiven. The gospel announces that we've been forgiven. The law shows us our condition. The gospel saves us from our condition. See, we can try and try and try and try. We can grit our teeth, pull up our bootstraps, flex our big muscles, and try really hard not to sin, and the reality is it won't work. The only way, the only way that we can change is to surrender our lives to Jesus and allow the gospel of grace to enter into our hearts. The law is a weight that we're under, and grace is freedom from that weight. See, the, here's the thing. The difference is after we receive God's grace, our hearts are actually transformed. Our, our hearts are changed in such a way that we now want to obey God. It's not like I have to obey God, but my heart is changed in such a manner that I want to obey God. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, this is the covenant I will make with them, After that time, says the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. The law of God becomes the law of our hearts. So it's not just a contract that we have to follow. It truly is who we are. See, God doesn't just take away the guilt of our sin in Jesus. He actually takes our sin away. Think about that for a minute. He takes our sins away. The psalmist, this is my favorite verses, says he removes... Our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. That's a long ways. That's a long ways. Um, That's the freedom that we have in relationship with Jesus. And again, it's not like we're saying, you know, once once you experience God's grace in your life, it's not like you're going, oh, gosh, I just, I wish I could sin. I just wish, I want to be, I want to be bad so bad. I just want to be bad. I want to, I want to go do bad things. No, you, you. your, your heart is transformed in such a way that you're, you don't want to do that anymore. Last couple uh, parallels in this passage are in verses 6 and 7 and then 9 and 10. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. And then verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and the children of the devil are. 
Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Um, This is a little bit challenging here because on one hand, it sounds almost as though John is contradicting what he said earlier. If you remember back in chapter 1, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. So we, we, don't, we do have sin, but we don't sin. Which is it? Do we have sin or do we not sin? Uh, make up your mind, John. Um, and, and here's the thing. What, what he's not saying is that we will live sin-free lives, okay? He's not saying, once you're in Christ, you will never sin again. But what he's talking about is that lifestyle that's directed towards sin where there's a habitual kind of willful, ongoing sin in my life, where you give yourself a pass, where you say, well, everyone's doing it, or this is just who I am, so I'm not going to change. I just keep going this direction. That's what he's talking about. That falls away. John says, if we continue in that way, we haven't seen him and don't know him. We're not really changed. Again, as I said a couple weeks ago, don't shoot the messenger. This isn't me, this is the Apostle John. But what John's saying is if we really know Jesus, we'll be changed. We won't continue that way. And if we aren't changed, and those things haven't changed in our lives, then maybe we don't really know him at all. There's a uh, little uh, book that was written back in the 1950s. My Heart Christ Home. Anybody ever read that? <laughs> a couple of old guys. Uh, it's really a, just a booklet. It's a tiny little booklet. Uh, and, and here's the interesting thing about it. This one is still available. You can buy it today. You can actually order bulk packs for your church or whatever. It's not like uh, the one we looked at a couple weeks ago, the 88 Ways to Avoid the Rapture or something. That one you can't get. But, uh, <laughs> but this book is still available because it's actually it's very good. And, and, and in this book, the author basically says that when we invite Christ into our lives, he comes into our heart. And then he says this, he talks about allowing Jesus into every room in your heart. And he talks about allowing Jesus into those rooms that are kind of dark. He says if Christ is really in our life, if we invite him in, he, go, he can come into the dark places. He could come into that back bedroom that we don't ever let anybody else in. We let Jesus in there. He can come into those rooms that we haven't cleaned in a while. You know that room where you shut the door when your friends come over? You don't want to, don't go in that room. No, you let Jesus in that room. He goes into every room in our heart. And he transforms us. And he changes us. He makes us new in him. And when we accept Christ... See, we accept Christ into our lives. We accept Him. We welcome Him in as both our Lord and Savior. And, and here's my experience. And again, I, 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 this is not necessarily any of you guys, but just in general what I've seen is that uh, a lot of times people like the Savior part. That's good news. Heaven, hell, I don't know. Sounds like a deal. But the Lord part we struggle with a little bit because if he's Lord of my life, that means I have to give up control and he's now in control. 
Did you know that in the New Testament, the concept of lordship is much more defined than the concept of a savior? Again, the author, uh, Paul, in, in Romans says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. How do we get saved? Make Jesus Lord. To the Corinthians, he says something similar. I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Um, if we're going to really have an honest relationship with God, if we're going to be real spiritual people, if we're going to be authentic in terms of who we are in Him, we need to allow Christ to be Lord of our life, and we need to give control of some things back over to Him. You guys want to uh, come up? All of you? What? You guys concentrate. We were talking about this this morning as we were in prayer. Uh, I, God's been speaking to us lately as a church. It's been really good. And 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 one of the things uh, Zoe shared a word with you guys last week about just a season of fruitfulness and growth and new growth. But along with, with that word is the, is the parable of the sower. It's the reality that some of the weeds have been plucked out. And I, I would just say this. My take on it is this, it's time for us to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's time to leave childish ways behind. If we really want to be all that we can be, if we, you know, we, we want God to really have his way in our fellowship, we have to say we want God to have his way in my life as part of that. We're, we're part of the church. We can't separate ourselves out and pray for the church, for God to do things without including ourselves in that. And we can't say, well, the church is this or that if we don't include ourselves. We're all together in this. And so we have to allow God to come and root out the weeds in our lives as well. It really is time to grow up. Oh, you need your stand? Just the music. Um, going back to my little story at the beginning, I just want to say this. Look, when a two-year-old throws a tantrum, we can kind of smile and say, you know what? It's just the way it is. But when an adult throws a tantrum and goes off on the ticket gal at the airport. It's not pretty. We don't want to be that guy. We just don't want to be that guy. We want to be people whose lives are marked by the grace of God, whose lives are marked by obedience in Him, and whose lives are marked by the presence of God in our thoughts and in our actions and in our words. And we want to grow in those uh, fruit of the Spirit. We want to leave old ways behind and be people who really are uh, gracious and loving and kind and accepting uh, towards one another and towards our neighbors. And we learn to love those people around us. And, and the only way we can do that, we can't do that by trying and trying and trying. The only way we can do that is just allow the transformational grace of God to come into our hearts. So why don't we stand and we're just going to close with a, a final worship song this morning. Well, you can catch those lights if you want. Yeah, I'm going to invite our ministry team to come up to the front now. And as we sing, I just encourage you to just kind of look into your own heart. And again, I think it's, there's a tendency, there's a, almost a temptation to think of other people. Well, so-and-so needs to do this or that. This message really relates to them. And I would just really encourage you strongly to lay that aside and 
to look into your own heart. Just ask the Lord, Jesus, is there anything in me that you need to pluck out? Is there anything in my life that's holding me back from all that you have? And just relinquish those things to him. Just surrender to him. Allow his grace to transform your heart. Just, just acknowledge to the Lord today, I can't do it on my own. I need your help.